Hello, and welcome to Running Inside Out Podcast, where we talk about the races we ran in, the races we're not in, and getting outside to see what's going on inside the Rochester running scene. So, let's get into the trails, training, food, friends, and yes, even feelings of Rochester, New York runners. In this episode, we talk with Ben Murphy about his experiences at Manitow's Revenge. Ben is an early rising, uh, like 3, 4 in the morning, early rising uh, father of four. He's one of the co-founders of our local trail running organization, Trails Rock, and he's a big fan of the Catskill Mountains, and uh, I'm, I'm sure that'll be clear by the end of this episode. Ben chats about his love for the mountains, the number one thing you shouldn't leave on a mountain, uh, what he's going to do when he goes back to the mountains, and also he talks a little bit about mountains. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, if you're curious uh, about some of the things that Ben references in his conversation, you can check out the show notes at runninginsideoutpodcast.com slash podcast and just find uh, episode four, a pretty dicey situation, in the episode list. Okay, now let's listen to Ben's adventures. So there was something that you were going to run before Manitowes. Uh, breakneck. Okay. Yeah. So breakneck point trail marathon was in April, I want to say. And I came down with the flu and just that took me out for like two, three weeks, and there was no way that was happening. So right. yeah. Now you hadn't planned on running Manitowes, so breakneck fell apart. And somehow you got into Manitou's. Like, no, I planned second? on I'd planned on Manitou's the whole time. I I signed up for Manitou's like the day it opened. Um, I'd been looking at it. Oh gosh, I think since the first year they ran it, two years ago. Um, and I knew if last year went well, I'd be in a place where I'd be okay to tackle it this year. So I signed up in February when it went live and got in. So Breakneck was going to be a training race for Manitou's. Because um, Breakneck was a trail marathon with like, oh gosh, like twenty thousand feet of climb descent. So in a marathon, in a marathon, yeah. So down in the Hudson Valley, so not far from Manitoba. I mean, you know, just further out in the Catskills, just mm-hmm. another set of mountains. So um, yeah, and I missed Breakneck because of the flu, and but still had Manitoba on the on the calendar. So, um, but yeah, I've been training for Manitoba for like, good lord, maybe months at this point so yeah that's that's how i feel about twisted branch uh, yeah. like december <laughs> i click the button in december and that's yeah. it every yep. step has been twisted branch yeah absolutely i ran can lake last fall um and that was i don't know i've done a couple 50 milers at this point but i did can lake as a like no crew no drop bags no pacer just like go do a 50 miler by myself and see how it goes and if it does then i'm at a point that you know, I can, I can probably hack off longer distances. So, and it went really well. So, so after that, it was like, okay, recover, start training for this year's okay. races. And so, Manitowes is, um, it's in the Catskills. It's in right? the Catskills. Okay. It covers a lot of the Catskills. <laughs> so it's. Do you want me to just? Yeah. It's so one. it's it's a fifty-four mile point-to-point mountain ultra. Um, it's one of the hardest 50 milers on the planet. 
Um, it covers trails like it trouble. It covers the Escarpment Trail, so the Escarpment Trail race is a pretty kind of iconic trail race that's been going on for 40 years now. That is the first third of Manitos. Um, so you cover that, and that's kind of the warm-up, <laughs> which is really <laughs> absurd in its own right. And then you, co- you go through a couple more mountains, and then the 50K mark, you hit Devil's Path, which is just, like, four or five mountains, and I can't remember the exact math. It's, like, seven, 8,000 feet of climb descent in, like, six, seven miles. It's just up and down boulders. And that's and most of this... And that's is, the 50K mark. And, yeah. and this is not, like, groomed trail. It's not this groomed is, trail. There's no groomed trail at all. Um, yeah, like, none. <laughs> is it is it rocks the whole way? Is it giant boulders? Like what? Yeah, so, like, the easy sections are rocks and roots. The okay. hard sections are, like, climbing up and down kind of, like, avalanche rockfall areas. Like, okay. like scree field type stuff? And, and Yeah, and not even scree. I mean, they're, like you know, van-sized boulders with trees growing over them up, like, you know, 50-degree, 60-degree inclines. So, yeah, they're... It's just, it's just crazy. as <laughs> like, you can't possibly describe it. I've, I've climbed throughout the Northeast, um, White Mountains, Adirondacks, everything, and I have yet to be on anything that's as hard as the train in the Catskills. Like, it just defies description. And so how many people do this race? There were, I think, like 60-ish this year. <laughs> and it's the third year so, they've run it. So it's kind of hard to get in. It's hard to get in. They make the <laughs> So the application process, you have to apply to get in. Um, you know, you have to run other ultras. You have to give them their, your times. It's the only application I've ever filled out where you have to include your mountaineering experience um, as, as a way to qualify. So they have a column that's like, please list your ultra experience. They have another column that's like, or if you don't have ultra experience, please list your mountaineering experience. And that's you know, it's a paper application you mail in. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's pretty bizarre. And I saw the yeah. I saw the picture of your letter. That was pretty neat. You know, they send you a letter and like yeah, they you send you a letter. Yeah, that's quaint. Yes, it is, and it's cool. It's funny. I've found an escarpment's the same way, um, where it's just paper application. Like you mail in a self-addressed stamp envelope. Mm-hmm. They mail you a paper application. You fill it out. If they accept it, you like mail them a check and you're in. So it's just very like a throwback sort of approach. So what's so what's it like the morning of? What, what's going on that morning? Uh, in general, or in my head? Uh, yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, so you you camped out the night before. So I camped out the night before. I stayed, you know, just at a campground near the finish, near Phoenicia. You know, I think what I was struck by was like it's such a low key race, and there's such elite people there. Um, you know, in my write up, I talked about how there's like no back of packers, like even the slow people I was around, mm-hmm. you know, cause I was in the back part of the, the group. Um, you know, these are people that have run like some of the hardest hundred milers in the country. Um, like the packet pickup is this non glorious thing. Like the, the race director, Charlie sends out this email. He's like, okay, packet pickup. I'll be by my blue Subaru behind the pharmacy in Phoenicia between these hours. Like that's packet pickup. There's no... <laughs> There's no, like, tent, there's no banner, there's there's nothing. It's just, like, you go to his car and you get your packet. And, like, there's these other random cars in the parking lot, and they all have, like, you know, Hard Rock 100 stickers on. <laughs> I mean, it's, like, you know, Massanutten 100. I mean, like, these people, running. it's just, it's just like, these really elite runners you've never heard of that just, this is what they do. They just run. And they just run, and... Yeah, it's just it's it's pretty cool, but it's so understated. Like mm-hmm. they don't promote who's there. You've got world class guys there, 
and it's, it's just really low key. I mean, it has the same vibe as the trail events around here, like the trails rock events, the muddy, you know, like muddy sneaker, and the goose mm. events. It has the same vibe. It's just everybody's just hanging out. Everybody's just there because they like trails, and then like times don't matter. It's yeah. just yeah, it's it's a really cool vibe. But you know, the head games for me were, you know, holy crap, this is a. It's not like a big local race. This is a big, like, nationally significant or internationally mm-hmm. significant mountain race. Mm-hmm. And um, that's just a different field to dive into. Were, so. you, were you thinking about it's what's going to happen after the race? Like, boy, if I do well in this race? Or were you thinking, what the hell am I doing in a race like <laughs> this? Um, I think it was more of the latter. And it's not that I doubted my ability, because I, I knew full well what I was getting myself into. I raced mm-hmm. Escarpment last year. I've been out there quite a bit over the last two years. I've run Devil's Path twice. Um, and Devil's Path is like, you know, if you look up hardest trails in the world, like hardest hiking trails in the world, most dangerous hiking trails in the world, Devil's Path is on almost every single list. Um, it's a really hard trail. Um so I knew what I'd signed up for and I, I knew I could get through it, you know, if everything fell into place well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's still intimidating. You're more like, it's, I'm here. Whoa. Yeah. It, it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think the, the reality of it, it's one thing in your mind, six months away saying like, Oh yeah, I can do that. It's another one. It's three days away. And you're mm-hmm. like, what did I just mm-hmm. commit to? Especially, you know, I think the big question mark for me was, um, I've, the longest I've ever run before is 12 hours, and I knew this race, if it went well, would take me 18 and likely would take me longer than 20. Um, and I had just no clue what my body would do after the 12-hour mark. It's like when Ron and Ryan and I ran Devils last summer, Devils Path is like 25 miles end to end. It took me, tw- it took me 12 hours to run that, and that's mm-hmm. the hardest thing I've done, longest I've ever run. Um, so, yeah, I just... I just didn't know. I mean, I knew it would hurt, but Mm -hmm. that was a huge question mark um, for me. I didn't know if I'd blow up, if I'd feel fine. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I know now. (laughs) I actually felt remarkably good, but, um, you know, I spent 19 hours running Saturday, and it went really well. I didn't know I was capable of that, so. So you're, so, but at minute one, you're at the starting line. Yeah. Um, early morning start? Early morning, 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. They've gone off in five-minute waves of 15 just to kind of spread out the field. And so what are you, are you wearing heavy gear because it's cold? Are you, are you planning for a hot day? I was planning for, so I had, I knew it was going to storm later in the day. I mean, they were calling for, like, really nice weather. So it was, like, in the 40s when we started. It was really nice and cool but it was sunny it was like clear skies um and the temps pretty quickly got up to like the 70s and stayed there it was like a cool 70s the whole day until late afternoon i had rain gear and warmer stuff in my drop bag for the 50k point which i'd pick up like mid to late afternoon um and so yeah i just i'd had t-shirt shorts you know my hydration vest my poles and my shoes and that's you know and so, so so for your shoes you're saying it's a pretty rugged path you wearing mountain shoes or yeah yeah i was wearing i ran in uh ultra lone peaks uh and they really they 
did a great job. You know, that's what I yeah. wore for my. Uh, that's what I wore for the 50k preview. We did a twisted branch with okay. the lone piece. Yeah. And yep. Jeff Green, Jeff Green, and Mike uh, Weldon picked on me the whole time. <laughs> no, they're great shoes. I uh, I trained, so I spent like the first few months of the, of the year training in uh, Bushido's, which are great mountain scrambling shoe but like they're just not they're pretty stiff and they're not well cushioned for you know anything over like three hours which just hurting my feet so i knew i needed something with more cushion and the lone peaks were a great choice they really i i've had trouble with durability with ultras in the past and um yeah these didn't miss a beat in like just absolutely horrendous conditions they were they're fine. There's no holes in them. The tread didn't blow off. You didn't have so. any uh, sliding around in the back of the heel? No, no. I didn't. No blisters. Um, cool. You know, the the tread was great even in, like, pouring rain on rocks and stuff. It, You know, they yeah. stuck really well. They drained well. So I was really impressed because really, that was definitely a roll of the dice. I really liked mine except for they seemed to let let stuff in. They let a little bit of, like... Twigs and a little bit, let yeah. Let twigs and debris getting into the back of Although, the heel cup. I still, I still have dirt embedded in my feet <laughs> after multiple showers. That, like, I had so much debris in my shoes anyway after that race because mm-hmm. of the rain. That, yeah, <laughs> made little to no difference by, that, by the time I was done. Yeah, sometimes you can't blame the shoes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so now you're you're taking off. You got your gear. You got hiking poles. Yeah, got, I ran with poles. You which, got a pack with some food in it, or no? Yeah, so I ran just a just a UD hydration vest. Um, had a, like a seventy ounce bladder in it that I had maybe two thirds full, uh, and that freed up the front pockets for you know gels and That's pretzels do, and that type of thing. And you so. do tailwind or no tailwind? Or? I haven't tried it yet. I may. Um, I do mostly gels. I. Uh, kind of scarf down whatever there is at aid stations and then like you know a few oreos here and there my body can burn stuff <laughs> a wide range of stuff pretty well without me feeling nasty so i kind of take advantage of that at aid stations um and the poles how those work out they worked well um i've ran devils both with and without them um i've run parts of escarpment with and without them what i did know was over the long haul they weren't going to affect my speed much and they're kind of a pain in some sections but they're such a benefit in others that um i figured it was worth carrying them and um they de- i was definitely glad i had them especially as the conditions got worse they definitely saved me a lot of falls now do you find a way to stow them into your pack do you use like the ice axe hooks or? i <laughs> i could um that's a funny story on its own i had a run-in with a rottweiler at ellison park this winter um that one of my poles snapped in half and i had to like hacksaw and reassemble it so it doesn't actually collapse anymore so if they collapsed i would stow them in my bag but they don't yeah <laughs> so, i struggle to figure yeah. out where i'm gonna put mine because yeah. I, I don't really know i mean the ice axe hooks they look like a hey, that's convenient but you know no i've gotten really used to running with them and yeah if it's like flats or downhills where i don't need them I just throw them in one hand because they're really light, mm-hmm. or I'll just hold one in each hand. Um, you know, I've I've gotten used to just kind of running with them when I'm not using them, and it's kind of second nature at this point. Uh, but it, it took a little getting used to. I mean, I ran with them a lot of the winter in the snow, yeah. and I spent a lot of time down a high tour on some pretty steep stuff, just getting used to them, and so I'm kind of used to them at this point. Yeah, I took them on a few like snowshoe hike run yeah. type things, yeah. and I just. 
Then I didn't know what to do with them. Yeah. So I, I'm still training on them, but it's good to know somewhere that, it, I mean, over 19 hours, you, yeah. they're gonna, you, you were able to carry poles for... Yeah, and they didn't bother me. I, there was no okay. point there I was, that yeah. I thought that, that I'd wished I hadn't brought them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, in fact, towards the end, I was really glad I did because, you know, you descending say? in the dark down, like, muddy, rocky stuff, um, you just can't see all your footing, especially in the pouring rain. And they really saved me. I mean, I took a lot of falls, but I would have had a lot more. And I'd say maybe a, a solid, like, third of the field was using poles. So for mountain running, like, I don't use them for trail running per se, but for mountain running, they definitely help. And I think the other thing they really help with is they take a lot of the pressure off your joints. Like, I feel I'm tired, but I don't feel like I got hit by a truck. I've been out running this week, and I feel fairly good, um, which I didn't expect. And I think a lot of that's from using poles because it just yeah. takes some of the wear and tear off your body. All right. So we're you're, we're at start. We got your gear all assessed. We've had some. Uh, you got your food. You got your hydration, and now you're off and running. Off and running, and the first three miles is easy roads. Like you start from a from a like town park slash recreation natural preserve, like tucked back in the Catskills up towards Wyndham. Um, and the race runs, so the race runs like from Wyndham, which is kind of like in the north eastern part of the Catskills, and it kind of snakes down to Phoenicia, which is more in the central or like southwest section of the Catskills. So it's 54 miles point to point, and you've got like, oh gosh, 13 ish mountains in those 54 miles. It's like 12 or 14, I can't remember the number. And about 34, 35,000 feet of climb and descent. Um, so that's the race. And yeah, so the, the, you know, the first, it's funny that the first three three miles are on like dirt road. So um, you're running seven minute miles. So, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, you know, it's funny. The group I was with, uh, I ran. I was in the same wave with Renee Hoover from uh, Buffalo. Um, so we just kind of ran together the first couple miles till we hit the climb until we hit the first climb and yeah I mean we were doing like 10 11 minute miles because I mean no one's in a hurry like (laughs) unless you're one of the pros in the first wave the time you make on the road is just absolutely meaningless Um, and at that point in the morning like you're still waking up and kind of taking it all in because it's just one of those like back roads to the Catskills there's mountains on both sides there's farms and like you know the, the sunrise and the fog and it's just really beautiful so you're on this paved road and it kind of stops being paved and starts being dirt and then rock and then there, there's like a little table with water. I don't know why you would need it two and a half, three miles into the race, but you hang a left and then you just start, you're in the woods and you start climbing like right away. So, um, so yeah, from that point you go, you got your first climb up to Aka Point, which is kind of the first peak and it's an easy, I don't know, 700 feet, a thousand feet in like a mile or two, um, which sounds steep but it's it's not it's pretty gradual it's just you know kind of gradual rocky you head up to a a peak like you know there's trees there's no views and then you're on a ridge line and you follow the ridge line and then you get into the first like major climb of the race up blackhead which is kind of like the climb of the escarpment trail run race which is like gosh over a thousand feet in like under a mile and it's just like hand you know hand over fist like hand on rock climbing and scrambling, you're like grabbing under roots and stuff. Um, and you get to the top of that, and 
you've got like a two mile descent down a couple thousand feet down way down into a notch um, where you hit your first aid station and that's maybe like 10 I don't know 10 11 miles into the race um, so that's kind of the warm-up <laughs> and at that yeah. point you just you're just going through the motion you're just kind of going I mean because yeah. the terrain you know escarpments are really really hard race um, but compared with like the back hat or you know, the back 20 miles of Manitos, it's, it really is warm up. Mm-hmm. And it was funny cause I was listening to the interview on Rothrock, which I've run mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I often tell people that like, you know, trail running is to road running the same way that mountain running is to trail running. Like they're, they're cousins, but like, they're just totally unrelated in many right. ways. And, you know, even within mountain running, you know, Rothrock's a legitimately hard race. Uh, like, I've heard there's, that. It, there's just no way around the fact I've heard that, that it's legit. Yeah, it's, it's legit. <laughs> it's a mountain race. It's not a trail run. And right. and yet, like, um, you know, so Rothrock, you know, the easiest stuff at Rothrock is, like, the hardest stuff around here. But, like, even escarpment, like, you know, the hard stuff at Rothrock is, like, the normal stuff on escarpment. Um and then Manitou's Revenge is harder than that. So it's just, there's like these, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, kind of exponential growth of difficulty. Mm-hmm. And so you're going through escarpment, which is just really difficult. Like there's more rocks than dirt, literally. Mm-hmm. There's, there's just rocks. Um, and you're like, oh, this is the easy part. I should back off the pace. I should, you know, make sure I save some in the tank. Um but it's, it's just a hard thing to do um, during a race that long because you want to go out, you feel fresh, and you're like, oh, these hills aren't that bad. You know, you're kind of going up them, but mm-hmm. it's a race you definitely have to hold back, um, which is definitely a hard, you know, hard thing to do in ultras. Um, yeah, the, the saying, right, if you think you're going out slow, you're still going too fast. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's funny, I talked to one guy on the way out, so the first, like, you know, a couple miles of road, I talked to a guy on the way out who that was his third year doing it, and he's like, you cannot go too slow in the front half of this race he's like it's just impossible to go too slow um but there are yeah. cutoff times right? there are cutoff times so i mean yeah and, and that was something that was definitely in my mind so i'd run escarpment i knew about what my time should be getting through there so from that first aid station you've got another kind of like it's a climb it's got like three sections um there's a plane wreck at the top which is really kind of weird. That's like cool. it crashed in the seventies in a fog bank. Um, cause the escarpment, you've got like the Atlantic, you've got the coast and then you've got the Hudson Valley. And then escarpment jumps up like 3000, 4,000 feet right out of the Hudson river Valley. Um, it's really an abrupt rise and the views from the top are amazing because you can see on a clear day, like four or five States. I mean, it's, it's just a sweeping, sweeping view. It's just jaw dropping. Wow. But, yeah, I mean, a plane in the 70s just, you know, it was a fog bank, boom, hit a mountain, and, and no one's ever moved it because it's in the middle of absolutely nowhere, and, like, why would you even bother? But that's for people that run the race. It's like, oh, the plane wrecked, so I must be near the top, and right. you just kind of know the landmarks. That's cool. But, yeah. We ran on the, on the Twisted Branch course. There's a Jeep. Is there? Yeah, there's a Jeep that, I mean, it's got chains around the tires, but it's, you could see somebody said, oh, don't worry, my Jeep is badass. Yeah. We'll make it. And and they just got stuck. Got, they just went into a ravine. So there's just a blown out jeep sitting, and you run, you run right past it. And like, it's there permanently. Oh, it's it not like, oh, screw it's, it. We're never going to get it. It's not out. going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would guess it's probably eight to ten years old now. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that's great. 
So yeah, that's uh, you climb up past the plane rack. That's stop a point. And now um, that's and, how, how and many? That's maybe like 12, 13 miles in. Okay. Um, and where you're like four hours in then oh about gosh, that? Maybe three. Maybe three. Because um, then you've got like four mile descent down into North South Lake, which is like the first major major age station and like a major checkpoint. Um, that four mile, it's like four four and a half miles. It takes maybe an hour. I mean, it's all downhill, but it's just all rocks. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of, like, ledge scrambling. See, the thing about the Catskills is there's just a ton of ledge scrambling. So, yeah. you know, you run down through rocks, and then it'll just be, like, a six-foot drop. And you kind of have to know where they are or you go flying off them. <laughs> um, so it definitely helps to pre-run the course a lot um, to know where those are. Or to get yourself some time. So or to get yourself just... some time. And some of them are, like, sheer cliffs with 100, like, multi, like you know, 400-foot drops. So. so what are the markings like on this course? So, Does it need to be marked? Yeah. I mean, most of it follows the long path, which is marked really well, so it's all blue-blazed. It, it's just these blue discs that say footpath, and it's they're really easy to follow. Um, but, like, depending on what part of the long path you're on depends on how long ago it was marked with discs and what color blue they are. <laughs> so some of them are, like, faded, and you're not sure if you're on the right part, and some of them... Mm. are new um except for devil's path which is red but i gotta say like the course directions that they send out ahead of time it's like two or three sided i mean just very very turn by turn like extremely detailed directions so when you're in the rock field you're okay you know you know where to go generally you know where to go and they flag it really well i mean they went through the week before and taped everything so any major turn there was flagging for um there weren't really there were a few points like I hesitated but I'd pull out my turn sheet and then I'd see an orange flag and I I mean I never really felt lost so I I was impressed for what a remote course it is um, how well it was marked they really did a good job with that Hmm. so yeah if you come down to North South Lake it took me uh, I was like 445 ish which was right where I wanted to be so it's a mile it's just under the 30k mark Um, you know and I was looking to keep it you know, three to four-ish mile an hour pace, you know, hopefully closer to four, and that's about where I was, so. And from there, it's more descent. You've got, like, five more, eh, four or five more miles of descent from there down in Palinville. Um, and most of that's, like, just really rocky, rutted, um, like, Jeep road uh, to kind of just switch backs down, 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 like, a couple thousand feet down. Um, and is like the lowest elevation on the course. So you go through this little little village. It's like a post office and a gas station and like three houses and, <laughs> <laughs> and this beautiful river coming through and like you know two three thousand feet of mountains on either side of you just up. Um, it's just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, and you, you kind of cut through some village streets and then you you're back up climbing again. And that's you know maybe the 21, 22 mile mark. Okay, so you're getting you're getting up towards the marathon. You're getting closer to the 50k point. Yeah. Right now, is is halfway sort of a big deal in this race, or do you just blast by halfway? It's really not. 50k is a big deal, um, but the like the front the front 50k is. I would actually say the back 20 miles is harder than the front 50k, and the front 50k isn't easy. Um, but yeah, you get to the 21 mile mark at the Palinville um, aid station, and you know they they check you in, and make sure you're good, help you across the road because there's you know heavy traffic coming through there. It's like the only road through that section of the Catskills, 
And um, they're like, you good? You got water? Because it's like three, four hours to the next aid station, which is only 10 miles away, like not even 10 miles away. Wow. But, I mean, from there, you've got a 2,500-foot climb that's just up. And it's not, that climb isn't as technical. It's just really, um, it's kind of like the runoff high tour towards the bottom where it's just steep, like really rocky, muddy, like Jeep road almost. Like when you come Mm -hmm. down into Conklin Gully at high tour. Yeah. It's kind of like that, but just like 2,000 feet of it. Right, so there's not really secure footing just like yeah, there's not really scary footing anywhere on the course, <laughs> right? Um, so that, but that's what I, you look and, and it looks clear, but yeah. everything everything under your feet moves. It mo- yeah, it definitely moves, and some parts more than others. So like, so that climb, Catterskill High Peak, has like a like a two thousand foot grind right out of Palinville, and you're just going up and up and up and up and up and up and up, and it just doesn't end. Um, you know, you'll turn a corner and it'll flatten out for like fifty feet, and you're like, oh, I'm there. And you just keep going up. It finally does flatten out, and you've got this plateau you run around along for a couple miles, maybe like two miles. But even that is just all tree roots and mud um, because above you is the rest of the 500 feet to the true summit. And so, like, all the water flows off that. And there's all, it's cool because there's just these beautiful waterfalls coming down. There's a few that are, like, over 100 feet that just plunge into the valley. Wow. Um, and you cross right through them. Like, you cross right through the tops of these falls. The, the trail just goes right through there. But it's like what I would imagine running Hawaii to be because it's just tree roots and then like in between the tree roots is like six inches of like peanut butter right. <laughs> and it's just like that for like three four miles wow. um, and then you've got another 500 foot hike up some pretty technical climbing um, and then you've got another like two three mile descent down just more just really rocky technical stuff down into Platte Clove which is a 50k mark um, and that's a big deal so that that's one of the that's the first cut off the race you have to make that before 11 hours um you have to have headlamps when you leave because from there you hit devil's path right. and the rest of the race and it's usually later in the day when people are hitting that uh, unless you're like one of the elites coming through early right. and so you had an issue there at 50k right yeah i had a, a major issue there which i think cost me the race unfortunately um you know i didn't have any crew or pacers I had some people like kind of tentatively lined up, but I never planned on. I I, I always planned on going alone, just because I didn't know. You know, people mm-hmm. have crazy schedules, and um, I was like, if someone can join me, great. If they can't, then uh, <laughs> <laughs> if they if they can't join me, then that's fine because I planned on doing it by myself if I needed to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I had my drop bag. I'd packed ahead of time, had all my stuff in it. I knew it would be at the 50k mark. Um, I planned on grabbing all my gear and uh, you know swapping out and then heading on from there. And I pulled into the 50k aid station. My goal had been to do it in under 10. I came in at like 946, 948, which was right where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. It felt really good. I had I, I you know coming up Catterskill. I really was in a rough place. I just had been behind on fueling and, uh, you know, kind of hit me. But I refueled and, you know, rehydrated, and I was fine. By the time I came down, I stopped in a couple of the the streams coming down off the mountain and just ice bathed my legs and my back and felt, like, really good by the time I got down off there. And, uh, yeah, I pulled in, checked in with my number, started grabbing, you know, food and refilling my hydration pack and they're like your drop bag's not here and i'm like what are you talking about and they're like it's not 
here and there, you know. So I'm looking. They had, like, a tarp laid out with all the drop bags. And there were only, like, seven people behind me. So there weren't many bags left. And mine was not one of them. <laughs> so I'm scratching my head. I'm like, well, you know, there's probably some mix-up. It's probably, like, in one of the volunteers' trunks right here in the parking lot. Or it's, like, under the tarp or under a chair. And they, like... And they were thinking that, too. And it wasn't. Like, it just wasn't there it was just missing in action they turned the place upside down you know they looked they dug through everyone's cars and and the big deal here is you can't leave because your headlamp you can't leave without a headlamp um you know you're going to devil's path which is like so it's like seven miles to the next aid station but it will take four to five hours to do that seven miles like it's just that hard um yeah, you need a headlamp. There were storms blowing in at that point, so, like, it was getting overcast and starting to mist a You said bit. you had your swap gear in there, right? Yeah, so I had all my, like, my warmer stuff for being in the rain. I had all my, I was down to, like, two gels by that point. I'd gone through maybe, like, ten of them. Um, I had the other twelve, you know, in my drop bag, so I didn't have to carry them the whole race. You know, dry socks, you know, oh. anything I needed was in there, and... Yeah, so I was basically screwed. So how they point. how they find it? Um, they started making phone calls, which no one had cell service there because it's again like the Catskills. Um, yeah. they're, they're remote. I mean, like if you're up on a peak, you can get a cell signal, but if you're down off a peak, you just can't get one unless you're in like a major town, um, and even then, it's it's spotty. So. Yeah, they're all, like, dialing on their phones, and no one can get a call through to anybody. Like, it's just all drop calls. So they started driving out to houses and using landlines and calling. Like, they called the finish. They called the director. I got a call out to the director. His voicemail was full. Sending texts, driving to try to find volunteers who just left and were headed to other aid stations. Like, um, for as, you know, the situation as I found myself in, I, I will commend the volunteers for really, like, understanding what trying, was going on and, like, it. really doing their absolute utmost to, you know, help out. You know, one lady pulled out, like, two fleece jackets out of her car and was like, just so you don't get cold. And, you know, so I'm wearing these jackets just kind of pacing the whole time. I didn't sit down at all. I just paced and, like, did yoga and tried to stay loose. Because right. I was like, I'm not quitting unless for some reason I have to. Um, I'm going to keep going. So... Uh, yeah, so it took them over an hour, and finally they they found it. I mean, it was labeled with my name and number. It was at the finish line. A volunteer had come through like half an hour before I arrived and had taken what he thought was the pile of <sighs> of drop bags for people who'd already been through and just like hardened to the finish line, which would be a logical thing to do, except that... Yours was untouched and unopened. And yeah, I wasn't supposed to have done that till later in the race, so... Um, Oh. Yeah, so, you know, and, and so, yeah, great, they found my drop bag, but it was, you know, it's like a 45-minute drive away, one way. Um, you know, I got in well over an hour before the cutoff. It was, like, at the cutoff or a little after by that point. Um, that they found it? Or that, that they, they found it, yeah. So right. it's like, even if we brought it back, you know, it would be another hour, hour and a half um, from there. And they're like, can we get it to the next aid station at Mancala, which is, you know, most of the way through Devil's Path. And um, I was like, yeah, it'd be fine, except I have nothing in between. Like, I've got two gels, which I can make work if I need to. 
but I have no rain gear, which I no, packed. No I have headlamp. no headlamp, which I'm going to need. Um, yeah, I'd kind of like dry socks at this point. And so at that point, the sweeps arrived. Right. Because <laughs> you've been because the they were, Yeah, it's past the cutoff. And they were like, you know, holy crap, what happened? And they really, they wrapped their brain around it real quick. And they're like, well, if you want to keep going, like you, if you're not going to drop out and you want to keep going, we've got extra gear. Um, so Stuart and Tom, I think his name was Tom. I'm, I'm really bad with names, but yeah, they, do, they like rummage their bags. They're like, here's a headlamp. It works pretty well. If it cuts out, here's a backup one. <laughs> um, you know, here's a Gore-Tex shell. Here's, like, and then, and then here's they, some food. Like, good luck. And then they and, proceeded to chase you well, down the course. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, we'll give you like half an hour and then we'll, we'll start. So, um, <sighs> they, I, and they felt badly. They were like, yeah. if we were you, we would have like just lost gone it. ape shit and lost it. Yeah, there's, and, there's very yeah. few people, I, I think. <laughs> Yeah, and I was really debating. I'm like, I can lose it and go ballistic, which is my instinct and what I really want to do, which isn't going to solve anything. Um, And the long run will make me feel bad about what I did. (laughs) I can keep calm and stay in this, or I can just pull the plug. And, you know, there was, like, only, like, one logical option out of those. So I just kind of went with it and kept going. So, yeah, I left Platte Clove hour and 13 minutes after I got in there. Did you which feel is a huge amount of time to lose at that point in that Did race. you feel rested or did you feel like I actually felt really good and, yeah. and I made so like I made Devil's Path in the same time it took me last summer. Hey. When, I, when I ran it on fresh legs in dry conditions All in right. daylight. At 50k and at 50k in pouring rain and at dusk. So um yeah, so, I mean, obviously I'm better trained than I was a year ago, so that has a lot to do with it. But, uh, yeah, I, I kind of just bolted out of there because um, I knew I had time to make up. I put half an hour on the sweeps, you know, half an hour on the cutoff time through Devil's Path. It was dicey. I mean, that trail, there aren't a lot of people who've been on it. Um, the people who have know just how treacherous it is. I mean, it's just... It just defies description. Um, no, now that is it. Is it hard? Like there's things that are hard, but you enjoy them, and then yeah. there's things that are just hard, and you just want them to be over with. No, it's hard, and you enjoy it. Um, at least I do. But I like the mountains. Like I'm just I'm at home in that environment. I just love being in the mountains, and that's why I do mountain running. It's not that I like running hills. It's not that I like pain. It's just I like being in the mountains, and it's just a fun experience for me. Um, so, yeah, and, and it's funny, like, the first time Ron and I ran out there with Jamie, uh, I think it was, like, two years ago, you know, Ron was just shaking his head at, after because he hadn't been on that type of trail before, um, not even, like, you know, in, like, the White Mountains we had around X, and it was just, like, I don't even know. You know he, he, I remember him saying, like, I, I wouldn't even know how to describe this to anybody. <laughs> like, like, it just it doesn't fit into any description of anything I've ever been on. And it really doesn't. Like, it's kind of like the White Mountains for people, because a lot of people end up there, which is just steep granite boulders, like up mountains. It's kind of like that, but, like, steeper um, and just covered in roots and scree and mud. And um, you do it in the rain, and it's, like, even dicier. So, I mean, there, there's sections where um, there'll be, like, 10, 20-foot rocks, like cliffs, basically, and you're climbing tree roots up through crevices. Um and you're kind of scrambling, like it's all hands on deck, it's feet and it's hands, and you just there's just like no margin for error when it's dry, let alone when it's pouring rain and getting dark. Um, and like, 
you know, the average elevation change per mile through there is easily a thousand feet, if not more. So it's, wow. it's like, you know, it, you basically do four empire state buildings in like six miles. It's just <laughs> up down and, and there's like no ridges in between. So it's like up a peak wow. down, up, down, up, down. And it's like four peaks in a row. Wow. Um, which it, it's so ludicrous that like you can't help but laugh and have fun with it because it's yeah. just so absurd that anyone would make that trail. Like it just, there's no switchbacks. Um, it, if there weren't trail markers, you wouldn't know it was a trail. Right. It just doesn't just, look like a trail. I mean, they were literally like, well, the peak's up there. Um, we're just going to space discs like every t- 20 feet between here and the peak. And we're going to call it a trail. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's where it gets its name from. Yeah, you know, the Devil's shortest, path. Like the it's shortest just, path. Just yeah. go. So it really is as and that's, absurd as And that's about seven miles? So, yeah, it's like... So you've got like six, seven miles to Mink Hollow Aid Station, and then you've got a, the climb, the last climb out of Devil's Path of, of the race from there. So it's another like mile and a half more climbing from that. But yeah, and that puts you around mile forty. So yeah, like Mink Hollow's mile. Yeah, it's well. Let's see. Mink Hollow's mile thirty-nine. So you've got yeah, you've got seven miles from the fifty k to Mink Hollow. Took me four and a half hours for the seven miles, which in the rain is actually pretty good. I mean, it was really, it it was definitely one of the scariest experiences I've had in the mountains. Um, Thankfully, it wasn't lightning at that point, Um, but just because how slippery it was. And, like, the shoes were, you know, like, the Lone Peaks were great. You know, they gripped really well, even on the wet rock. But when you've got, like, you know, driving monsoon rain that's, like, kicking dirt out of the ground onto the rocks, so you've got mud on top of it, and, like... It's foggy, so your headlamp's picking up half of what you need to see, but not the other half, and you're trying to spot trail markers up ahead of you. Um, it's just, it, it's, yeah, it's it's frightening. <laughs> <laughs> so I made it into Mincalo, like, right at dusk. I turned the headlamp on, like, maybe 10 minutes before coming in to, to Mincalo. My drop bag was there. Um, I found out after that the race director had actually hiked it up in the pouring rain himself, missed the finish of the race to do so, um, which really speaks volumes, I think. Yeah, so they're, um, they're trying to make it right. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, so I checked in. I made pretty good time. I caught up with one of the people that had passed me. So, like, when I was at Platte Clove, you know, waiting people to are figure out, people go. were coming by, and I... You know, everyone I was in front of passed through. I was dead last by the time I left. Um, you know, I caught up with one party by the time I got to, to Mankalo. But I tried to, you know, keep it short. I grabbed the gear I needed. I grabbed all my new food. Um, grabbed my headlamp, which was a lot brighter. My backup headlamp. There, you're from, there you've got the climb up plateau, which is like 1,500 feet up in like a mile. Um... And it's in my head. I remembered plateau as like not being as bad as the other climbs on that section of Devil's Path, and I, my memory obviously wasn't correct because the like the polar opposite was true. It was just <laughs> awful. Um, and by that point, it's just like rivers coming down the trail, and I was kind of wary of like rock slides at that point because um, the the Catskill soil is like really like clay and scree, so it looks really solid when it's dry, but. You know, you'll run through sections of woods where, like, there's just these huge rock slides. There'll be, like, house-sized cliffs that are just collapsed. 
and you're climbing up a mountainside thinking like you know th- that does occur at some period of time and now is probably the good conditions for it um, so that was kind of in the back of my head um, you know if I was on a easier section I you know, I'd kind of take you know take that as I was out of the you know out of the way of rockfall and then if I got to a cliff band I'd be you know I'd scout it out visually and then I'd like just hightail it through just because mm-hmm. I didn't know right <laughs> you just never know what's going to happen up in there and I was by myself right um, I knew there was one runner behind me although she and her pacer passed me probably about two-thirds up plateau I was moving really slow and I like plateau just broke me I hadn't been fueling properly coming through you know, I was short, short on nutrition coming through there anyway because I didn't have my drop bag. Um, so Your I mind's a little, mind's a little rocky. Yeah, and, like, so I'm coming up plateau, and, like, I can feel my core temperature dropping, which isn't good. And I've done, you know, I trained all through the winter, and we had a brutal winter. And so I know, like, I, I know what hypothermia feels like when it starts, you know, early onset of it. And, you know, core temperature dropping, feeling really lightheaded, like I thought I was going to black out a few times. And then I started, like, dry heaving, and um, I can't remember the other thing. Oh, my heart rate was just redlining, which it hadn't at all before that point in the race. So, like, all those things together, just from, like, a textbook perspective, were like, well, these are bad signs. <laughs> you know, I hadn't thought yeah, of dropping out. because They're all accumulating. They're all accumulating. And, like, you know, part of ultra is just being willing to deal with that. Like, that's just part of racing ultras. Um but then there are some things that you learn aren't safe to deal with. You need to just mm-hmm. be done and call it a day and come back another time because they're not worth your health. Um, or at least in my case, I don't think they're worth my long-term health. Right. Um, so at that point, you know, I literally, I was just balled up. I, I was like in a ball by the side of the trail. Um, one, trying not to black out. And two, thro- like throwing up, but nothing was coming up and just really out of it and i'm like okay one i need to refuel i can't go back to the aid station down below me even though it's only half a mile down it's like a thousand feet and it'll take Mm -hmm. 30 40 minutes in these conditions and by the time i get there it's going to be packed up and gone anyway um i knew the sweeps were behind me so that was good Mm -hmm. (laughs) but i still had like you know 500 feet of climbing ahead of me and then the top of plateaus is very runnable um, in, well, in normal circumstances, I mean, I was pretty shot by the time I got to it. So I, but I kind of speed hiked it. I, you know, I had a gel on the way up. Um, I drank a ton of water. I didn't feel great by the top, but I felt like operable. But at um, that point you're just trying to make it. But to at the, the next same point, station. it's, you know, it's another, th- you know, three, four miles to the next age station from there. And, and it's all downhill, but like, you know, I'm going down through those sections, and I was having trouble keeping, like, you know, a 30-minute mile pace downhill. Um, one, because the conditions were really bad. Like, it was mm-hmm. pitch black, driving rain, foggy. Um, and, and, again, it's, you know, it's not normal trails, just all roots and rocks. Um, so, you know, that's where the poles really came in yeah. and saved me. And, instantly, one of the things, so this is another funny story that my wife knows about, but no one else does, Um you know, I'm, I'm on the top of plateau and the sweeps are behind me, like not right behind me. Cause they were like, you know, give them time We're you know, we're not, they weren't looking to like kick me off the course. And I, I think they caught me at the top of plateau and I gave them a heads up. I was like, just so you know, this is how I'm feeling. And I'm going to try to refuel and we'll see how I feel at the next aid station. But I'm also considering maybe pulling the plug because I don't want to run any like risks of 
you know, keeling over because you're you really are in the middle of nowhere. It's not like there's an EMT crew they can call to come get you. Like if you collapse, there's nowhere to go. There's no lean tos. There's no tents. Right. They just got to like they got to do. You can't build a fire. Everything's wet. They'd yeah. have to hike you out. Like you're looking at hours and hours. Yeah. Um, of being soaked and freezing and like there's just no good version of that so and that's one thing that kind of attracts me to mountain running is that level of, of necessary self-sufficiency so um so they stayed with me just for a little bit on plateau i was ahead of them and i actually i can't remember Oh, I thought I'd missed the turn. So you get on plateau and then you don't keep going. Because if you keep going, you stay on the devil's path and you go for like a long ways. You don't want to keep going. From Never there, you want to stay on the devil's path. <laughs> so from there, yeah, you turn onto the long path and you take that down into Phoenicia, which is from that point, I don't know, like another 13 miles, 14 miles. And, um, but it's a, it's a weird turn, and we'd heard rumors that, like, some people had come through early in the day and, like, just pulled out all the, the flagging, which actually wasn't the case, but, um, or maybe they reflagged it, I don't, I don't know, but it, it is a, it's an easy turn to miss if you're not looking for it, and it was just really foggy, and, you know, your headlamp's bouncing off the fog and the rain coming through, and, um, really windy, so, you know, I, I thought I had overshot it somehow and missed it, so I turned around to come back, and I fell, and, didn't think anything of it i got a few hundred yards away and i'm like oh like my wedding ring's missing like just not on my hand and i'm like on the top of a mountain in the pouring rain at like 10 11 at night (laughs) like there's no one around and so i mentioned i i'm like there's no way on earth i'm gonna find it like it's just gone um but i kind of laughingly mentioned it to the sweeps and they're like, oh, yeah, we'll go back and look for it. So, so we, they took, like, an extra five minutes, and we backtracked, like, I don't know, tenth of a mile uh-huh. across the top of this mountain. And Plateau is called Plateau because it's, like, a mile and a half, two miles across. And it's cool. When you run in the daylight in the summer, it's beautiful. It's, like, these for, these fern forests and, like, these, this, like, scrubbrush pine trees. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, and it's really cool because you're up way up on this mountain. You're, like, 4,000 feet, and it's just a really cool place. Um, in a storm, it's different, and you're trying to find a wedding <laughs> ring, like, in the mud, in the pouring rain, and, like, I'll be damned, the guy found it. Like, this week, he, like, he comes by, we made one pass, we missed it, because we were going the wrong way, and then I, I was like, if we hit, you know, this point, I know we went too far, and we'll turn around, we'll give it one more pass, we can't stay up here all night. Um, he turned around, and he's like, oh, is this it? I'm like, yep, that's it. <laughs> so it's kind of a funny story, but my hand, yeah, my hands were just, you know, everything was so wet and so yeah, cold. My hands like, had, like, shrunk. Yeah. And wow. um, Well, the Adirondacks have claimed two of my wedding rings. Oh, no. So, yeah, so now so, I know, I like, take so it off. Before, I don't wear. Yeah, take it off before these races. Yep. So we got going again, and they kind of let me do my own thing. You know, I went on ahead. They didn't really push the pace, but, you know, I knew at that point, um, you know, my plan had been, and when I had been on pace before the delay, um, to just, my plan had been to make plateau by sunset, which I was on pace to do and would have without the delay, um, and then just slog it out from there. But it just, 
you know, by that point, the weather that had blown in, the way I was feeling, um, you know, I started doing the math coming down into the next aid station, and, like, there was just no way I was going to make it by the the cutoff of the race, which is a 24-hour cutoff for, for a 50-mile race, which is just absurd. Yeah. Um, but it really is that difficult. And, and people kind of, like, look at you funny when they hear, they're like, it's a 50-mile with a 24-hour cutoff. That doesn't make any sense. Um, it, it does when you run it. And when you talk to people who run it, um, or if you're just familiar with the train out in the Catskills. So, yeah, I mean, I'm doing the math. I'm coming down the mountain. I'm like, it's just not, it's just not in the cards. I'm like, I, I you know, coming down into Silver, no- Silver Hollow Notch at mile 44. And so I only have 10 miles left. The last mile that is road. But those nine miles is like two huge climbs. I mean, it was another easily 5,000 feet of elevation change in those nine miles that were left. Um, in just awful conditions at night. There's a river crossing in there. Not a stream crossing, like a river crossing. Oh. Um, and by that point, like, the water levels are rising, too. So it was You're just, already chilled. And I'm already shot. I'm already chilled. I'm already, like, probably at a point where I should be pulling out and not pushing it any further, um, or else I'm kind of pushing some serious health risks. So, I, you know, crewing for other people... Um, who've been in that same situation. You know, I crewed for a friend at, at Beast of Burden, and he, he definitely got hypothermia pretty bad, and that was a pretty dicey situation. Um, you know, I had the perspective that if, it w- if, if I were a friend of mine seeing what I'm seeing or knowing what I know, I would pull me. And so that, that's what I did. I just I, I got to the aid station at 44. I was at, including the delay, I was at 19 hours, just under 19 hours. It was like 1850 something and uh yeah i just knew that was probably the smart call for the day i'd kind of pushed it as far as i could given the the hand that i was dealt and uh kind of exited so um you know i don't regret pushing the last 10 miles um you know, I don't think I would have been able to do it under cutoff. Mm-hmm. And you would have then, then where would you have been, right? Like, well, and that's the thing. Like, yeah, I mean, it, so you're at there, mile, there was you're maybe at mile like fifty, and then you know <laughs> things fall apart. Yeah, things fall do. apart. So, and, and that's the other thing. These these mountain races, like, you really are by yourself, mm-hmm. uh, unless you're part of like the front pack. And and even those guys, I mean, you take sixty racers and fifty four miles of mountain trail, and like mm-hmm. people space out real fast. Yeah, and these point I didn't to points. See, and I mean, these point to points. It's not like an out and back or a loop where you're mm-hmm. seeing people. Um, you, you, I was by myself ninety nine percent of the race, um, and you just, you know, that, I think that's what I was saying before um, the cutoff for the break, like. Yeah, you, you just have to know what to do in a lot of different situations because no one's around. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that challenging, but it's also, you know, worrisome, I guess, in some ways. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. like like right, like right the second I dropped, mm-hmm. um, lightning started coming. It was like, boom, just thunder, lightning, came down really hard. Um, and I heard from other people that finished, you know, in those couple hours after that it, it was pretty dodgy. I mean, they were up yeah. by the fire tower on Tr- Mount Tremper and Mount- on Carl Mountain and, like, just really sketchy uh, conditions of, you know, like, you know, lightning. And well, that's why they give us that little whistle on the UD packs. Yes. <laughs> yeah. For lightning which, storms. Which doesn't help you, like, by yourself. And it's funny, you know, I talked about the knowledge base you have to have to run these races. So, like, 
you know, it's what you do if you're hypothermic or if you're pushing heat stroke or um, if you break something or you sprain something Mm -hmm. or a head injury or... And one of the things is what you do in lightning strikes. Um, You know, escarpment trail race is a good example. They run that thing every year, hell or high water. And we started last year in, like, just this horrendous thunderstorm. I mean, it was like a severe, like a legitimately severe thunder and lightning storm. I mean, it's just, there's lightning strikes. You can hear them in the woods. Um, You know, the thunder's just rumbling through. It's just downpouring. And then within two hours of that, it's just like bright and sunny and 80 and like a sauna. It's the northeast. It's the northeast, and, like, you have to know what to do. So I'm like, before Manitoes, I was looking back up. Like, I'm like, I think I know what to do, but it's been a while. I should refresh my memory. And, yeah, like, two-thirds of the stuff I thought I remembered was accurate. The other third wasn't, and I'm glad I looked it up. (laughs) You know, things to do, things definitely not to do. Like, if you have a compound fracture, you should pee on it, like that kind of... Yeah, that's not recommended. Or, like, you know, if there's lightning strikes, don't hide in a cave. Yeah? Because rocks conduct, you know, like rock systems Uh, through mountains conduct electricity. You zapped inside the cave. Which, you know, would seem like a logical thing to do, and there's lots of rock overhangs in caves in the Catskills, so it'd be like, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, I'll wait it out here, but in fact, that's a really bad thing to do. So... Yeah, I mean, there's this so whole... what do you do? Um, ditch anything that's metal. Yeah. Get off a high point. Get in a gully of any kind. And crouch down on the balls of your feet with your hands over the back of your head. Um, you know, the balls of the feet... If you have, like, a pack, put it under you. Yeah. Because that reduces your contact with the ground. Yeah, it sounds like a perfect position to be in after running 40 miles. Well, and that's... Yeah, that's the irony. I'm reading it. I'm like, this is the last position I want to be in after being in the mountains for, you know, uh, like 10, 15 hours. When your two hamstrings seize up yeah. and, and yank your hips <laughs> off of your body. <laughs> yeah, well, you can get into the couching position. You just can't get out. You're, like, stuck there permanently. <laughs> you're yeah, light, you're lightning proof at that point. <laughs> well, what was really like morbid about reading that, and I read like three or four different guides. So you know, I looked them up online because uh, I always kind of compare notes across to make sure yeah, that yeah. you know the knowledge is the, correct. The average, right? Yeah, and, and it's like no, you want to be on the balls of your feet and crouch down because then if the lightning hits, it'll go like down your spine and out your tailbone into the ground, and it's like the least conductive way to get hit by lightning. I'm like, well, gee, that's really positive information to know i mean it's just such an awful thing to read Uh, it wasn't like how to avoid getting struck by lightning it was like what's the best version the best worst version of it (laughs) don't sit indian crisscross right don't sit crisscross applesauce well and so the first rule is like don't get in that situation yeah which is easier than than done when then when you're so in you, a race like this. So you pull the plug of, at 44 miles. Yeah. It's like 1 o'clock in the morning at this it's point? Like, I don't know. I kind of lost track of time. Midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning, somewhere in there. I mean, it was, I stopped my watch at 1858. I mean, that's when I, that's when I hit yeah. stop and save. So, um, you know, my headlamp was still working, but my lens was like an aquarium. And it's mm. like a really nice Princeton Tech waterproof headlamp that's mm. been through. I've had it for years, and I have had that thing in every condition imaginable it filled with water um wow you know my light i unpacked my pack later and uh my lighter so i I keep yeah i keep some emergency gear in my pack when i'm doing anything like whether i'm training or racing in the mountains um you know i've got an emergency blanket i've got uh you know a lighter and you know compass and you know just just basic stuff but stuff that you know worst came to worst i could hunker down and be okay 
you know, I had that like double plastic bagged and everything in it was soaked. Like my lighter just doesn't work. Um, you know, everything's just done. (laughs) So it was raining that hard, which is kind of crazy to me. So do you get to crawl into a warm, cozy van at that point or something? So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was funny, like, so, so I get there and, um, Daniel Snyder's there. Hooray! Yeah. And it's like, (laughs) what are you doing out here? Like, on a mountain in the middle of nowhere at one in the morning in a lightning storm. And she's like, yeah, like I had this friend who knew this friend and they're like, you do anything this weekend? And I came out and volunteered. And Danielle Snyder, the patron patron saint of runners. So, I mean, it was nice to see like a a face I knew. Did she put a pair of gloves on for you too? (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) No, but she looked worried. She's like, you don't look good. I'm really kind of concerned about about you at the moment. So you really look bad. (laughs) She's like, you seem really out of it. I'm like, well, it's because I'm really out of it. Glad to see Um, you too. Yeah. So, and they were just waiting for, you know, us to come through. And, you know, they were half torn down by that point. They still had the tent up, you know. And I grabbed, like, what food they had left. I grabbed, like, a thing of Gatorade and drank it and as they tore down and then just hiked. So that that being the irony is, like, you, you, you pull the plug and you still have to, like, down climb down to the cars. Yeah. Well, um, that's what I always thought. Like, when you when you DNF, you I can't take another step. The next thing you have to do is, is take, take another, another step. step. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it wasn't bad. It was, like, seven-tenths yeah. of a mile down actually fairly... Yeah, and you weren't like making trail, trail. and you weren't making the call for that point in time. You're making the call for five miles from now, eight miles from now. Yeah, I felt I didn't feel bad then. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I felt okay. I felt yeah. bad. I yeah. didn't feel like you weren't you weren't at the death. end. Yeah. but there were ten more miles. I knew it was coming. Right. I I knew yeah. because I knew how I felt on the last climb uh, on the last climb, and mm-hmm. it was awful. And I I just wasn't sure that my yeah. you know my body felt great, but just my head yeah. and the fueling like I just my brain wasn't getting enough sugar. And it's the thing like with the hypothermia, like so your body just common it just triages any nutrients you know that it can burn sugar being the quickest and so it's like oh sugar well we're gonna send that to the muscles sorry brain um it's kind of like last in line and so you just you get really fuzzy and you have to it's really you can pull out of that but it's just really really hard to pull out of that um and i didn't i had some warmer gear but i didn't have i didn't think i had enough to and i'm like you know i'm carrying metal pole well aluminum poles but i'm like it's kind of, I, I took my hands out of the straps and I held them out <laughs> and I had them like held out at my side in case I heard anything like coming from the sky. I could just throw them, <laughs> which is really awful. But that was the reality. And Danielle's looking around like, this is really dicey. Yeah, like, yeah it is. <laughs> attach them attach him to a string and drag them behind I thought you. of just grabbing the fabric part and dragging them behind me, yeah. uh, but I just didn't, I didn't know. Yeah, so. well, you're, you said your brain's not getting any yeah. sugar, right? So, yeah, we got to the so, cars. So who let you dirty up their car? <laughs> so actually the race director's son, who was like, this is like the one time a year he's in town. He comes up for Father's Day to help his dad with the race. Really nice guy, late 20s. Um... Yeah, he's like, yeah, I'm going back to the finish anyway. Just hop in. And I'm like, you sure? I'm, um, I mean, I'm just like, I'm covered in mud, <laughs> just sweat, like, just drenched. And he's like, yeah, I don't care, whatever. So yeah, you know, he gave me a ride back. We nice. drove. I, we had to drive so slow because it was just, it was raining so hard. And those roads down to Phoenicia are just like these super, super windy back roads, um, with like, like joke of a guardrail next to a drop-off type of roads. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, we just kind of we made it back into Phoenicia, and it was raining there, but not nearly as hard. And, and uh, 
Is there like an after party type thing? So there is. I got to say, like the after the race. So Phoenicia is like this sleepy little rundown Catskill town that is kind of like coming back. There's a lot of people from the New York City area who kind of moved up there and just started buying things. So like you've got the main strip, which is like maybe half a mile of shops. So you've got your like tchotchke souvenir shops. Um, you know, your local pharmacy where like, I think I paid 11 bucks for a thing of Neosporin <laughs> because like it's in the middle of nowhere and right. they have no customers and they charge 11 bucks for a tube of Neosporin. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, are you kidding me? But, but I needed it before the race. It's like, I yeah. definitely wanted it in my bag. And, um, so you've got that, but then you've got these like really upscale, like restaurants and bed and breakfast. There's, um, there's a couple, there, there was like an old motor in there that was falling apart and like some couple from Brooklyn came up and bought it and like redid it and it's like this like high-end boutique hipster hotel. Hmm. Um, there's a diner there called Phoenicia Diner, which actually caters the race. Um, so you get back and there's just all this food from Phoenicia Diner and Phoenicia Diner is like, if you're ever in that area, you have to go there cause it's that good. Like they do like bourbon milkshakes and it's like, <laughs> it's like hipster gourmet twist on every great diner food you'd ever think of and like it's really that good it's just obscenely delicious and just a really cool laid back little old like metal 1950s diner by the road in phoenicia but yeah so they cater the race so the food after is great um just piles of great food and i think really like one of the reasons i feel good now is you know so like one, when all the crap was going on at Black Clove, having to wait, I didn't sit down. You know, I kept mm-hmm. just moving. I think that definitely helped keep my legs fresh. And then after, too, like, you know, so so Charlie's son dropped me off my car, and I, you know, threw on some dryer stuff and went, went to the finish line, which is right in the village. So you finish right in the village. It's like the old parish mm-hmm. slash town hall. Like, you go in, and it's like, it's this big empty room with like chairs pushed to the side and there's like a pulpit up front um, but then it's like the town hall too and then there's like well it makes sense it's NRA a small tax town in the back and like it, yeah. it's just like this bizarre it's a small world. town middle of nowhere yeah you know? so really they have is. one building that did it all they do absolutely and they still do and it was kind of yeah. cool because that's the i grew up in rural pennsylvania and that's just like very familiar to me yeah um it's just yeah it's just kind of a cool quaint setting and that's where the race finishes so there's like a big time clock and a tent out front nice um and there's this one little mountain road that comes into the village and leaves the village and you just you you know the finish comes right down through there and they run that clock and they so the race officially ends at 24 hours but you know they allow people if you made the two cutoff points you, if you want to finish you can finish yeah you know they'll list your time you know there are people who come in at 25 26 hours the last two years mm-hmm. um because there are people there. there hanging out partying. It's there are people it. hanging out, and they have to, you know, they can't, like, leave you out there. <laughs> you know, it would be dangerous No, they, they got wedding rings to, to find. Yeah, yeah, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, people are there till late into the night. You know, it was cool. I got to catch up with some of the people I'd met at the beginning of the race who, you know, some of them, I'm thinking, like, they're just going to die out there. And then others, like, they'll be fine. You know, it's kind of cool to kind of mm-hmm. hear how people did. Um 
And then yeah. you have to, you camped. So, so now, I camped right gotta, up the road. So it's like, you know, 10 miles up the road at Devil's Tombstone, which is, uh, it's a New York State campground. So now but you got to go back to a tent. I got to go back to a tent, which actually sounds worse than it is. Like, one, I'm comfortable in a tent. Mm-hmm. Um, two, my tent stays dry even in just horrendous Did you have weather. it set up the whole time? Well, I had it set up. So I had it set up the day so you didn't before. So you didn't have to pitch the tent yeah. again. And yeah. I've got, like, a really warm, like, down mummy sleeping bag. And, mm-hmm. you know, so it's not... It's rough in it, but it's not that bad. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I got back to the campsite. So I, so I, no, I was talking about how, like, why I feel fresh. Like, you know, I got to the finish line again. Like, I didn't sit down. Mm-hmm. I was probably on my feet for another hour just talking to people and eating. Like, I just ate. Um, and they had a lot of the food was pretty well picked through by then. But I'm like, I'm vegetarian, so like the vegetarian stuff was left. So they had like, you know, avocado sandwiches and like just piles of like really like high-end field green salad and like fresh fruit and i just ate and ate and ate and mm-hmm. ate and i think just staying on my feet and replenishing with good stuff not crappy stuff mm-hmm. like i usually do after a race mm-hmm. or after an ultra um really helped because i was like i'm not going to go back to my tent until like it at least stops raining a little bit which it never really did so i finally after an hour i was like ah, i'll go back so <laughs> I, I drive back and it was raining so hard I didn't even get out of the car I just turned the car off and went to sleep really I see like I was just I was exhausted I managed to get my two shoes off I got one calf sleeve off I couldn't <laughs> get the other one off and I was like screw it I'm just going to sleep I'm so wow. tired I just kind of passed out so they have I woke you know, up at maybe four five in the morning crawled into my tent because it was raining less right. kind of curled up and I don't think I woke up till like 10 11 o'clock because you ran it this year, do you get to put in and go back next year? Yeah, so, you know, I got to say, despite the um, situation I found myself in, which I really, you know, do think cost me the race for a number of reasons, but, um, you know, it was what it was. You can't, like, mm-hmm. change it once you're in it. Um, I followed up with the race director after. Um, you know, it took me... Sunday, driving back, and, like, a lot of the day Monday to really wrap my brain around or to start wrapping my brain around kind of what happened and 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 just kind of all the emotions that go with that. I mean, part one of the things that people don't really talk about ultras is, like, how emotional they are. Like, mm-hmm. they really, they just are, and it's, it's really hard to explain, but... Um, you know, I think the, the first time that I was aware of that was doing um, Beast of Burden Winter Race, um, January of 2014. That was my first 50 miler, um, and it was funny. I came in, I was about like 44, maybe that race, like nine, ten hours in, and and I passed this family in the middle of the night by the side of the road, waiting to cheer on somebody, mm-hmm. and they had little kids, and like I just started like my eyes just started welling up because like mm-hmm. it was like holy crap i missed my kids and um it was just little things like that that like you don't realize until you get deep into a race and you're like it's really kind of an emotional experience in a lot of ways and part of it because you're just so exhausted and your body's just not regulating right but well and i think also you've put like you said you put nine months of your yeah, life yeah. into this day yeah yeah absolutely you know? that makes me think so much like about about the olympics you know olympic marathoners oh gosh yeah. you know what i mean four years of training to perform on that day yeah. and we all know you can have a bad day oh yeah you know yeah and absolutely so 
really. Yeah, there you you invest so much, and then yeah. to have a well-meaning volunteer, yeah, make an honest but boy really dumb, yeah, mistake. That sucks. It sucks. And so I followed up like, you know, Tuesday. I emailed the race director, and um, yeah, I was like, I want a refund, and if you, you know. You know, I want to be in next year's race because I want to come back. And he took care of it. Like, they, they've they sent me a refund. I'm wow. already signed up for next year. So, um, And you said the so whole time cool. they were they were trying to make it right. The they whole really time. did. I mean, they really did. And and even to the point of when I left the Platte Clove aid, aid station and um, the sweepers were, like, wrapping their brain around what had happened. Like, the sweeper informed the, vol- you know, the volunteers, like, I don't know if we can get it to the next aid station. I just don't. He's like... I don't care what you have to do and who has to do it and how bad the conditions are, you'll have it there. Like, period. Mm-hmm. No questions asked. Um, so they really, yeah, they they did a great job, which I would expect. I mean, it's, you know, the group of guys out there, the the, the folks that run in the Catskills is a really small, tight-knit community, and they're just, they're, in my experience, just top-notch people. Um, they put on great races. They put on great events. They take a lot of pride in their community. And when people come out of town to race on their trails, um, mm-hmm. they, that they're they're very passionate about it, and so I expected that response. But it was nice to see it. Uh, mm-hmm. It it definitely went a long way. <laughs> right. So so yeah. you're going back. So I'll go back. You're going to bring a crew with you this year, maybe to handle your drop bag. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Like a number of people have asked me that, and you know, it's funny. Um. As much of as much as having a crew or a pacer definitely would have helped. I'm, I'm in in a lot of ways glad I did it by myself because mm-hmm. I really um, I was talking to Eric Eden last night. We were just chatting about the race, and um, you know, I said like I, I feel like I came back a different person or a different kind or like a, at a different level of running than I was before. Um, you know, just doing that by myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, there was there was no point um, during the race or after the race where I wished I'd had a crew or pacer. Yeah, um, it may have been a wiser decision, <laughs> but I don't regret it. And I think next year, even um, I think I'll probably do the same thing. Um, I like the challenge of just being out there, and I like mm-hmm. you know I like the solitude too of the mountains. You know, it's like I've got a I, I have a very busy job. We've got four kids. Um, and those are all like wonderful things. They're they're not bad in, in any way. Um, but running is kind of my escape. It's kind of like my therapy. It's my time to be alone and to be quiet and be out in the woods. And, and I really value that. Um, and so these races, I I kind of like that time. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know. I mean, I've got a year to really think it over. And hopefully, I'll ro- I, you know, it sounds like I may be roping a few other people in to go out with me next year. So we'll see. Yeah, well, you can count on Danielle being somewhere randomly, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if she's not running it, I don't know. She's got some big races coming up, so. All right. So. That's cool, man. Yeah. So then coming up this summer, anything fun? So I've got Escarpment Trail Run coming up in. Can't get enough of that place, I huh? can't. I really can't. I, I've really kind of fallen in love with that area. I'd never been out there before 2013. Wow. Um, I've been through the Catskills randomly traveling through to like new england on family vacations as a kid type of thing but Mm -hmm. like i've just never really been there Mm -hmm. and um 
I just like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, part of it is I love the mountains and it's closer than the Adirondacks. So there's kind of that pragmatic aspect where, like, if you want to go to the high peaks, you're looking at, like, five, six-hour drive. Whereas, like, you can be on Devil's Path in four hours from my house. So yeah, it, maybe I'll like, go to the Adirondacks. It sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, I mean, part of it is just that pragmatic, yeah. p- pragmatic piece of, of it being closer. But I've really kind of fallen in love with it. I mean, the, you know, the little towns and the really steep, rocky terrain. I don't know if it just, you know, reminds me of growing up in Pennsylvania or what it is. Mm-hmm. But, it, yeah, I just like it out there. Um, and... Uh, part of it is just how hard it is. I mean, the races are hard and I like challenging stuff. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was lucky enough to get in on escarpment last year. So that's a race that had been on my radar for a few years. I didn't feel ready for it until last year and I applied and got in. And that's another one where this will be the 40th year. It's a paper application. Yeah. You mail like two or three self self-addressed stamp envelopes back and forth and paper application. Like it's just this really kind of, um, intentionally vague entry process Mm -hmm. and um it's kind of like you know the boston marathon of trail running in some ways it's just this old venerable race and and part of the thing i like is like it's not expensive there's no um you know fancy online entry process where with like a big website it's like Mm -hmm. they barely have a web page they just started facebook a year ago yeah. Um, you still mail in your application and it's, it's like, if you make, if you get accepted, then it's like the first 150 or 200 to pay, get in and yeah. then it's cut off and that's it. So it's no, no frills go out and run. It's no frills. And, and it doesn't need to be cause it's yeah. so hard, yeah. you know, so it's 30 K, but it takes you like six hours. Right. Um, and that's just, that's, all in, that's in July. So that's the end of July. Um, and I should feel good by then. I mean, I feel fine now, but I'm, I'm definitely yeah. tired. Um, cool. it'll take me a few weeks. So there's that. Um, and so, yeah, I did that last year. Breakneck fell through this year. So I signed up for that instead. Um, yeah. and I was kind of, you know, as, as much as I wanted to do breakneck, um, Scarbin's one of those races where I think what really struck me last year was you walk away from it feeling like you just took part of something that has a lot of meaning in the trail community. Um, there's just so much heritage and lore around that race. It's just, you feel privileged to have been part of it in some way. Um, so it's just a really cool experience. So looking forward to doing that again this year. And then I'm running, I'll be up in the Adirondacks in August. Uh, there's a 50 mile trail loop around Cranberry Lake in the Five Ponds Wilderness area. Um, that was put together within the last like five, 10 years. And there's a bunch of people who have fast packed it. Um, but no one's ever like gone and run it. So I've been toying with that idea for a couple of years and I feel, you know, this year's a pretty logical time to just go do that. I, I like those self-supported non-race, you know, mm-hmm. FKT sort of things. Um, I'm not fast. So, you know, I go for like first known times, not fastest known yeah, times. It'll, it'll be your, <laughs> it'll be your known time. But, but it should be fun. Um, Cole Crosby's actually doing the same thing in July. Uh-huh. Um, so I, so you don't he, have a chance at the fastest. So I, so I don't. I mean, there's just no way, um, you know, unless something goes horribly wrong, which I, I hope, I certainly hope doesn't. I, I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to seeing how fast you can knock that out because it's, yeah. you know, it's 50 miles. It's all trail, but it's like, it's only like 7,000 feet of elevation change over 50 miles, which is yeah. fairly flat. Yeah. Um, I mean, fairly flat. Uh, yeah. By comparison, I mean, it's not right. mountains. So yeah. that'll, that'll be the challenge in training between now and then. 
um, you know, been toying with the idea of, of trying 100 milers. Um, you know, Manitos for me, besides doing it, um, was, was just a big question mark of what my body would do after the 12 hour mark. And mm-hmm. I got to 19, I refueled, I got done, I got down into finish, and I'm like, I could still run. And I mean, I was tired, and I really you know, I made the right decision, but yeah, I could have kept going. So I'm like, you know, I did the math, you know, 19 hours of running on a normal trail ultra is, is like, you know, 70 to 80 miles, which is like mm-hmm. after that, you're tantalizingly got, close to 100. So I'm that, really kind of curious. Miles yeah, left. so I'm kind of curious of maybe taking a crack at that at some point next year. We'll see. I'm going to try a couple years, 100Ks first, I think. I think it's probably wiser than my approach. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that'll about wrap up this episode of Running Inside Out podcast. I guess a, uh, a story about a 19 hours of uh, running through the mountains ought to, ought to cover it for this week. Um, before we wrap up, though, I want to take a quick minute to thank everyone that has reached out, said thanks, offered advice, ideas, and encouragement about the podcast. Yesterday uh, was the Zero SPF Trail Half-ish Marathon. And all throughout the run, numerous people took time from their run to, to mention the Running Inside Out podcast. All the way from somebody running by and going, hey, you look like the podcast guy, up to um, just taking the time to say thank you. This episode was really great, and I really like what you're doing. And I, all of those kind words really sort of lifted my spirits on a, on a day when I might have been uh, struggling a little bit. So... I really appreciate that. I'm glad so many people are enjoying it. Also, a lot of people asked um, how they could help out, which kind of surprised me, and, you know, that's that's great. Um, the best way to help out really is to uh, tell your friends. If you know someone who might like the show, share it with them. And uh, if you don't think they'll listen on their own, uh, maybe get them inside of your uh, car speeding down the highway and, you know, when they're trapped and start playing it for them. They can't escape it then. Um, but you know, basically just getting the, getting the word out and sharing the show, you know, um, that's, that's the, really the best thing we can do. Get it in the ears of more runners. If if you want to get really saucy, um, there's a link on the right hand side of the website. That's uh, an Amazon link. If you click through that link before you go to buy stuff on Amazon, um, Amazon will send a small kickback to the show. You know, then no extra cost or anything like that. It just, uh, they send a little referral money. Um, so that kind of would help as well. But number one thing is share with your friends and um, go out and subscribe to the podcast. Um, but most of all, you know, go out there and run and get some stories to tell so you can be uh, on our next episode. If you like the show, again, uh, and want to make sure you catch the next one, the best way is to subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook. Uh, Just search for Running Inside Out Podcast. Thank you for listening. And remember, be thankful for what you've been given. Be proud of what you've achieved. And let go of what you lost. See you out there.